0: And I think that's one of the biggest challenges investors face is you know what you are capable of based on your limited success record up to this point. So if you've only done an Airbnb rental, maybe you think you could do two or three Airbnbs, right? But to buy a 12-unit building, oh my goodness, that sounds daunting. If you've bought a three-unit building, maybe you feel like you can get a five or a six-unit building, maybe an eight. But to buy a 50 unit building, oh man, let's not press it. Right. So we had these limiting beliefs that slow us down. And what we have to do is find ways to attack those limiting beliefs and show us that it is possible. Welcome to Real Estate Deal Closers with Annette Lee, where we focus on the deals. Our guests are real estate closers who will share in detail the whole process from finding a deal to closing it, as well as strategies and tips to help
1: you do the same. Here is your host, Annette Lee. Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Deal Closers. I am your host, Annette Talley, and my guest today is John Kasmon. Welcome, John.
0: Uh, Thank you for having me today.
1: Super excited to talk to you today. You have an amazing story and I can't wait to share it with everybody. But before we start, let me tell you guys a little bit about John. He is a real estate entrepreneur who has partnered with busy professionals to invest in close to 90 million worth of apartments. Incredible. John also consults actively Uh, consults active multifamily investors to help them start and grow their business. He hosts the Target Market Insights Multifamily Plus Marketing Podcast and is the co-creator of the Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit, a no-pitch event to connect like-minded investors. Prior to becoming a full-time investor, John worked in corporate America overseeing marketing campaigns for General Motors, Nike, and Coors Light. While building his personal multifamily portfolio. Awesome. So, John, that is an incredible asset to have being in marketing uh, and doing, you know, apartment investing because you have to market yourself to people. But how did you get into real estate?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, thank you for having me on the show, right? And you're right, you know, marketing is a great background to have, and it absolutely has helped me kind of navigate and it took me a while to figure out how to really unlock that skill set to to leverage for real estate. To answer your question, you know, I got back into real estate um, in, I mean, geez, 2011, 2012 was my first deal. And to understand how I got into, you have to run the clock a little bit more. So, um, there's a little purple book that I'm sure you and your listeners are familiar with, right? Rich dad, poor dad. And they talked a lot about different themes. And a lot of people talk about it because it was their introduction to passive income. It was their introduction to investing in real estate and commercial real estate. And that's all true. And that certainly was relevant for me as well. But there was one thing that stood out to me that I very rarely hear people talk about. And it talks about you should work to develop skills, not just for the paycheck. So it's not about, you know, just working these jobs and being great at it, but try to develop skills. And that always stuck with me. So as I went through my marketing career, I always went through it with the lens of, How can I leverage, you know, this skill? How can I learn marketing? How can I learn event promotion? How can I learn, you know, social media, digital media? How can I learn TV, radio, copywriting, all these different things. So I was always trying to develop these skills, because I felt like they were they would be transferable. And and that came into play. During that process, I worked at some of the biggest companies and or some of the biggest brands and some small companies too, but I was working at General Motors and I was there from 2007 to 2011. And if you recall, that was the time where the company went bankrupt in, you know, at the end of 2008, 2009. So I was at this company where we went through bankruptcy and I watched some of my colleagues get let go and I felt like the emotional stress every day. And I remember one colleague in particular, um, you know, he got let go and he left a voicemail to everybody on the team, expressing his frustration and disappointment and sadness and anger and every emotion you can think of. You know, I'm just listening to this voicemail like, holy crap. And this guy spent 22 years at the company. He was diabetic. He had no idea he was going to get his insulin shots. And he was just... Venting, You know, I mean, just, it's kind of crazy, but you just have to picture like this, this chaos and this fear that everyone had about their own job security. And here was a guy who lost his job and had no plan. He had no plan B. So at that moment, I decided, Hey, we have to have a plan B. We have to get something else going. I've got to figure out a way to make money um, that isn't through the W2 job. I thought back to that purple book and said, real estate, we've got to get into real estate. Um, I was still in Detroit though, and it was two thousand and nine. And anybody who was in real estate in Detroit in two thousand and nine, they were not trying to scale up. you know, they were all like trying to run for the heels. So as I started educating myself, I couldn't quite pull the trigger there. I moved to Chicago in two thousand and eleven with the streamlined focus of being in a market where there was you know more more opportunities and to buy that first property. Um, I took the first year to just get, you know, get acclimated with the landscape, figure out the neighborhoods, things like that. The next year when my, my rental lease was up, uh, I bought a two-unit building in North Center, house hacked it, lived in one unit, and rented out the other, and effectively kind of kind of began uh, real estate investing.
1: Awesome. That is incredible. So how did you get between these two units to, you know, raising uh, $90 million worth of real estate? <laughs> That's a big gap.
0: <laughs> That's a big gap. So, uh, you know, I think what happened next is, again, I, I loved my marketing career. And, um, you know, like like a lot of other people, I loved what I was doing, right? I was engaged by it. I was, you know, good at it. And I was being promoted. I was rising up the corporate ranks. Um, I went to a small advertising agency, but I was still working on these major brands. And in doing that, I was growing this. I was growing my real estate portfolio. So I bought a three-unit building. That was doing really well. Then I bought an eight unit building um, that did okay. It didn't do quite as great as the three unit and the two unit, but the eight unit did okay. And as I was scaling, I started to run into a couple of challenges. The first thing was um, the money <laughs> that it took to buy these bigger properties uh, was more and more expensive. So, you know, after putting down $125,000 in down payment for the eight unit building, I just sat back and said, all right, now I'm going to get ready to try to do this again. I got to sit and wait and save another, you know, six figures. And we didn't come from money. So, I mean, this was all my wife and I just saving. We just saved and saved and saved and saved. And we finally had enough money. We buy a property. So, you know, I, I, I should have felt more excited when we bought the eight unit. But I just started to think like, man, to do this again, I got to like, it's going to take me another 12 months to save and, I, and we were aggressively saving, you know what I mean? So it's to save that amount, we had to be aggressive in the lifestyle and everything. And I just felt dejected, like, man, I'm not gonna be excited to just do all this and save. The bigger thing for me was I realized that I wasn't really attacking the main goal I had. I mean, I talked about going through bankruptcy at GM. And my whole goal was to insulate myself from a company taking away my main source of income. Well, the way I was investing, I didn't have enough income coming in to, re- to replace my, my W-2 job. So I had equity. I had a lot of equity. I was great. You know, I was building all this equity and my wealth was going up. But I didn't have enough income, monthly income, to take care of me. So I said, you know what? This strategy is, it's good, but it's too slow. I started to talk to more and more people about how they scaled their businesses. Um, a friend of mine went from nine units to 90 units in about a year. And I remember saying to her, how in the heck did you make that happen? So we spoke, we had breakfast and she explained to me about other people's money and working with other investors and how to structure deals. And she told me you can either flip to make more money or you can partner with other people. I decided to partner. I I decided to do both. The flipping did not work out as well, but uh, (laughs) work with other people and stick in a multifamily did work out well. Um, About a month or two later, I ended up meeting the guy who would end up being my my coach. And it really wasn't that I was looking for a coach. And I tell anyone this, the, the thing you want to find is you have to take advantage of the resources around you. I was looking to connect with someone else who was in the market that I was going to focus on. And, um, and I was just looking for someone who could help me understand the market, how they look at it, things like that. Um, This person mentioned that they had their own coaching program. I thought it worked out great. Uh, I moved forward. And the thing that I got outside of just the the coaching program and that information was really watching that person scale their business. And it helped me to reimagine what was possible. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges investors face is, you know, what you are capable of based on your limited success record up to this point. So if you've only done an Airbnb rental, maybe you think you could do two or three Airbnbs, right? But to buy a 12 unit building, oh my goodness, that sounds daunting. If you've bought a three unit building, maybe you feel like you can get a five or a six unit building, maybe an eight. But to buy a 50 unit building, oh man, let's not press it, right? So we had these limiting beliefs that slow us down. And what we have to do is find ways to attack those limiting beliefs and show us that it is possible. And one of the best things that happened to me with hiring a coach wasn't really the coaching. I mean, that was great too, but it was watching this person grow their business. And then I stepped back to say, well, what did they do to do that? Well, can I do that? How can I do that? I think I can do that. I should do that. I'm going to do that. And then as you start taking those steps, those walls come down. And that's ultimately what ended up happening. So for me, surrounding myself with people who were doing this made it much easier for me to grow and build this business.
1: Wow, you are just like preaching to the choir here because I had just this exact same conversation with somebody else about how sometimes we have these limiting beliefs, and the only way to change that is like surrounding yourself with people that are doing what you want to do. Because I am that way, like when I want to do something and it seems impossible, but then I see somebody around me doing it, I'm like, if they can do it, I can do it. Right? Like, it's like, yeah, like, let me just figure out how they did it because if they can. You know, I can do it too. So yeah, that, that is amazing. Surrounding yourself with people that that are growing, you're gonna grow. Um, and the opposite is also true. If you surround yourself with people that are doing nothing, you are gonna do nothing because that's what you're gonna see. The deal. All right, so John, what deal do we wanna talk about today?
0: You know, we've got a few different deals. I think what might be a, a fun deal to talk about is uh, I've got a twenty-eight unit that is probably a, a good balance for um, the listeners of this show because it may be it may be a, a stretch deal for some folks. It may be a little a little bit where folks are at today or a little bit beyond. But I think it's big enough where most folks can at least uh, understand the deal, and a lot of the mechanics are similar to larger apartment syndication deals as well.
1: Awesome. All right. So where is it located? And what asset so, type?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's in Cincinnati. It's a 28 unit um, apartment building. It's kind of a, a C, a C plus C property that we've kind of converted to more of a C plus B minus apartment building. All
1: right. Awesome. Um, so how did you find this deal?
0: So... As I mentioned earlier, uh, I knew Cincinnati was a market we were going to lock in on. So part of my goal was to find properties in Cincinnati before I moved here so I could have a nice transition. Again, in my head, I was going to be leaving corporate America, going full-time real estate. I was going to have built this portfolio and it's just going to be a smooth transition, right? And for some folks, that's exactly what happens. It just wasn't what happened for me. With that said, that was my vision. So, um, I I would come into the market anytime my wife and wanted to see her family. My wife's from Cincinnati, so that's why I was looking here. Um, anytime we came into the city, I made it a point to meet with brokers, property managers, other folks who were in the area just to connect, get my name out there, start to see more and more deals. You know, there was one property that I found on um, MLS, and I... Thought it was a good fit. It was a 22 unit. I reached out to the broker, and the broker said, "Hey, man, that deal's gone. I already got it under contract, but I'll I'll keep you in mind for future deals." So we had a phone call. I shared a little bit more about my story, what I was looking for, and I just made it a point to follow up every couple of months with him. Well, fast forward about maybe another six months, he sent me a deal, and he said, "Look, I've got this deal. I'm sending it to five people. You're one of the five people. If I don't get an offer," In the next five days, I'm going to blast it out to everyone else and put on MLS and, you know, just try to get the biggest audience for it possible. So I did my initial underwriting and I've been looking at deals nonstop in this market. So I did my initial underwriting and this was the best deal I've seen in my entire time looking at deals in this market. So I pounce on it. And first of all, I double check my numbers because I'm like, something's (laughs) probably wrong. There's There's more of a likelihood that something's wrong here than it's a great deal. So I pounce on it the numbers look right. They look good from what I did again. And I pounce on it. I have my sister walk the property just to make sure it's not like, you know, falling down or whatever. And it's actually there. And she (laughs) confirms some stuff for me and I go ahead and submit my offer, but, um, found it through a broker, but it was, you know, kind of a pocket listing. It was really about building that relationship. You know, I, I think a lot of times, um, you know, people want to know how to get taken seriously and you have to focus on building the relationships. And that really led to us getting that deal.
1: Awesome. Absolutely. I think that's, that's where you get the deals. Uh, You know, I did a happy hour recently with six investors and we concluded on that, that the best deals are not on the market because they are sent to people like that investor sent it to you before he blasted it to everybody. Um, So awesome. All right. So, what was the listing price or the whisper price, and what did you get it for?
0: Uh, I believe the whisper was eight fifty. Um, I think we initially had it under contract at eight thirty-five. When we got into our due diligence, we found some things that um, were, were pretty significant that we would have to address. So, we ended up closing on it at seven eighty-five.
1: Oh, that's pretty good. What, what did you find? What type of items? Because I think there is um, some people talk about like, oh, I, I you know, I, when I uh, offer, I'd never retrade because I want to have a good reputation. But I feel like if there is, um, in, you know, items that are concealed, there's no way that you could have known until you do an inspection. And if it's warranted, then you should, you have the right to retrade or, or re, um, you know, lower the price if you're going to, incurring significant expenses um you know i guess some people have different opinions on that
0: yeah i mean i I think that comes down to the asset type who the competition is who the broker is the owner is like there are a lot of variables right because you don't want to build a reputation of that um but on the same note it depends on the story you know like in this scenario i was given five days and i lived in a different city Right. So I don't have the the time to go and do a lot of the due diligence that maybe I would have done and to go get quotes and all that kind of stuff. This wasn't that situation. This was a since somebody out there just to fit, mm-hmm. just to walk around and make sure this thing isn't like, you know, a crack house. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I got that, like, no, nah, it looks fine. Cool. <laughs> like, here's the offer. But when I write offers and I'll give your audience a, a great tip here, Um Whenever you make an offer, you should put in what your expectations are or your assumptions. That way, if there is something that's missing, it makes it easier to talk about that with the broker or the seller. For instance, if I put in an offer, in this case, I'll say, hey, we have not had a chance to do a real inspection. This offer... um, this offer is assuming that uh, the roof and mechanicals are in in good working condition um, and that, you know, we'll probably need to spend a little bit of money renovating the interior units. And that's how we arrived at this offer. Well, if we get into due diligence and the roof and the mechanicals are not in good working order, there shouldn't be any confusion or pushback that we now need to uh, talk about how we compensate that. Or ideally When they receive that offer, they say, hey, man, you know, we actually think the roof is at end of life. You may want to take a look at it because they don't want to be in that situation either. No broker owner wants to be in a situation where now we have to retrade. Even if they decide they don't, they want to go with someone else who doesn't have that provision, at least it's clearly communicated up front. So I think as an investor, you want to make it easy to communicate and work with Uh, as best you can. So that's what we try to do. And and I'll tell you this quick story. I did a deal or didn't do a deal. (laughs) I put an offer on a property and um, I did the same thing I just told you. And the broker called me and said, Hey, I didn't see anything about electric in your, um, in your cover letter. And I said, yeah, what's up with the electric? He's like, yeah, it's got the, there's these, um, these old breaker boxes that is pretty prevalent here in Cincinnati, um, where, a lot of the insurance companies will not insure or the insurance premiums like through the roof or they'll ask for it to be remediated. So he's like, it has those box, those breakers. And I didn't see you call that out. And I was like, I had no idea. Thank you for letting me know. Um, and he's like, yeah, just, you know, I, I know how you work. So I just want to make sure you saw that and knew before we got too far. So I went back around my numbers. It completely changed where we could make an offer because we would need to fully basically upgrade the entire electrical system. Um, and there's no, you know, investors don't get an ROI, renters do not mm-hmm. pay a premium mm-hmm. for electricity that's up to code. So I can't, mm-hmm. I'm not going to recoup that money. Um, so it changed the, the, uh, the NOI. So um, that's one of those important things that you want to just communicate with brokers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think though, at, like right now in this market where, you know, deals are hard to find and uh, are going fast, you know, it, how do you compete with people that are just offering, you know, unseeing and full price? Um, Because you're going to have contingencies, right? You're telling them the assumptions that you're taking. Um, But I think, you know, a broker that will look at your offer uh, will know that you did your homework and that you're not going to come back and retrade everything, you know, that the other people are just ignoring just to get under contract.
0: Well, I mean, so we, we coach uh, other other like clients on how to get into deals. And one of the things I would tell my clients is you have to understand the property, the situation. Um, I'm not someone who judges the offers other people make. I don't know what their their assumptions are. I don't know what their goals are. So I can't say someone's overpaying or anything like that. I don't know. Um, I know it's crazy. I know it's hot. But again, everyone has their own situation. So in that scenario, what I would advise my coaching clients is this, you want to go in and you want to be able to justify your offer. Because even if you don't get this deal, you want to stand out as a credible buyer for that broker. You want to be quick, you want to be efficient, and you want to be clear in your communication. So what I would suggest in that situation is do whatever due diligence you can do with that time frame, And then what do you feel comfortable offering? Because the price is just one thing. You mentioned the contingencies. If you have no contingencies, well, if I'm a seller, that's great, right? If you're going to put money hard, well, as a seller, that's great. As a buyer, not so much. Mm-hmm. So you have to really be confident in your due diligence process. Now, in a lot of these deals, depending on the size, you know, a larger deal, they're not just going to take the first offer that they like. They're going to do a formal call for offers where they're going to ask everyone to submit an offer on a certain date. So that gives you time to go in and do your proper due diligence, to go in and get a sense of how aggressive do you want to be on an offer um, and and put together a game plan. Well, some of these other deals, especially if it's smaller, they may put it up and it may be under contract in 48 hours. So you're right. You're going to have to move quickly. But what I would say is, and what some folks like to do is just tie the deal up, right? You can figure out what work you can get done, what inspections you need to get done in, in 24, 48 hours. But there are ways to do that and make it work. But there's some nuances there where it, you kind of need to know what, what approach to take. Um, and it's great to have someone in your corner who who's does that and who's been there, um, who can help you navigate you know, what, what uh, strategy to play in that situation
1: absolutely absolutely all right so let's go back to talk about the deal um, so you negotiated down the price that's awesome so how did you find fund the deal and finance it
0: yeah so I partnered with um, uh, one person so one investor we basically came together um, and put together the funds we put up about 60 or 60k or something like that they put up the remaining like 200k. And that was used for the down payment. The bank provided a 75% LTV or 80% LTV loan, and then they also did a um, they also did the construction loan. So that's kind of how we put the capital together to fund it.
1: So this was a regular bank or a community bank?
0: This was a regional bank. So this is a local kind of a yeah, really more of a local bank,
1: right? Because it's under a million, so it's mm-hmm. probably easier to to um, get financing from a local bank or a regional bank. All right. Um, so how did you, how, so you had, did you raise any money for this one or you just went partners?
0: Well, one partner. So we raised the money from okay. that partner. So we are more the active lead, but they're, they're involved. So they're, they're technically active, but we do all the work.
1: <laughs> okay, <laughs> so. cool. All right. So what's your exit strategy for this property?
0: So we went into it with a five-year hold, which is kind of a typical um, view, is look at what a five-year hold is. So that was our initial plan. Um, we got into it, ran into some challenges there and had to pivot our strategy. And right now we're exploring um, our options because we, we're either going to refinance or we're going to sell. Uh, but you know, I think our initial plan was hold it for five years and then you know exit. But you know the market has continued to be strong. The area, the sub market itself, has continued to grow, and that's something we really you know um, thrive on is really finding the best markets and sub markets to invest in. And uh, we've done we did an excellent job in this case of finding a great sub market that was on the upper trajectory. So we we feel like we're positioned to. Um, exit at a nice return now or hold it. And quite frankly, continue to see the area improve and rents improve and potentially exit at a higher price point uh, a few years from now.
1: Yeah. And I think that's an important point that that you're bringing up that, you know, with real estate investing, you have to be flexible, right? Because, you know, you you have to have the same vision with your partner because, you know, if you want to sell and he wants to you you know keep it then you're not gonna be on the same page. But if you have the same vision and you're flexible, now you can pivot and keep it for longer and maybe get more returns in the future. Um, you can probably maybe refinance all your money out and then just keep it for cash flow. But the important part is to to have the same vision with the partners that you partner with. That way you can you know you don't have conflict uh, when one wants to sell and the other one wants to keep it. All right, so. That is an amazing deal. Um, How many years into it are you?
0: We bought that in 2018. So I guess we're in year three now.
1: Year three. Okay. That's good. Awesome. Productivity hack. All right. So now we're going to go to the uh, productivity hack uh, where you're going to share with the audience uh, the one thing that you have implemented in your business that has taken you to the next level.
0: Yeah, so the, the biggest thing that I've done to help me get to the next level is to actually be mindful of you know what my plans are. Um, so every night I kind of review uh, my goals and what we're working on, uh, try to get the day started, the next day started on the right foot uh, with kind of really that, that one thing. It's almost like the Gary Keller approach, right? The one thing um, I try to just really have one priority for the next day to accomplish and achieve. And if I can go and wake up going into that day with a clear plan, it makes it much easier to be efficient and motivated and, and energetic throughout that day.
1: Awesome! I love it. Yeah, I I read that book, and you know, I I really like the one thing. You know, like sometimes we're overwhelmed with a lot of things that we need to get done. But if you just focus on the most important thing and you get it done, then everything is just not that important. So, awesome. Expert tips. All right. So now we are in the part of the show where you are going to share three expert tips. So, what do you want to share with us?
0: Well, you know, there's something really important when it comes to work with other investors. So I know, um, you know, one of the challenges newer investors have, or even folks who are more seasoned is raising capital for deals. So I want to give, um, you know, I call them the three C's of attracting capital for deals. And we'll kind of walk through what those are.
1: Awesome. Let's do it.
0: All right. So the first C is confidence. And by the way, there's six C's in total. Um, But for the sake of this purpose, we're only going to focus on the first three. But the first C is confidence. Now, when I say confidence, what I'm talking about is really preparation. I'm not talking about blind hubris. I'm talking about the ability to feel like you have prepared. You've educated yourself. You've done the research. You've done your homework. And you're ready to go. Confidence comes from preparation. So make sure you are taking the time to get to know the deal, the market, Um, everything that you need to know to feel confident in your preparation. You will never know everything. You will never be able to answer every single question with 100% certainty. So that's not the goal. The goal is simply to make sure you're prepared. You know, you're prepared, you've studied your stuff, you can answer questions, you can speak intelligently, is the key thing to, to raise capital and that you actually believe in what you're talking about. You know, you have to be confident about, the deal, the opportunity, real estate, how it can help people. Uh, if you're not confident in that, then it's going to show. And that's going to be a hard thing to convey to other people. So you have to truly believe in the opportunity yourself. And if you don't truly believe, and I mean, passionately, truly believe, then you should step back and ask yourself, why am I doing this? Or why do I not really believe? What did I miss? What did I not study? Where do I still have concerns? So take that time and build the confidence is really key.
1: Yes.
0: The The second thing is credibility, okay? That's the second C, credibility. Now, credibility really comes from your track record and the team that you've built, right? So if you are new, you don't have a long track record, but that's okay. You still can build credibility with things like listening to this podcast, right? How have you educated yourself? Um, What events have you attended? Who have you surrounded yourself with? That's a great way to build credibility. Let's go back to my story of hiring my coach. You know, one of the reasons I hired a coach was to help me navigate what it takes to raise capital to do larger deals. You know, what does it look like when I'm working with the banks? I wanted that confidence and credibility when I approach people and they say, Well, John, you've never done a deal of this size. And I could say, You're right. But here's my mentor, and my coach, and he has done deals this size. And he's going to be in my corner helping to make sure we navigate this and do it the right way. That is one of the h- biggest benefits of having a coach in your corner and, and a formal coach too, because you can have somebody you know, but to be able to put someone's name and resume, you know, on a piece of paper, when you're talking to people, especially friends and family, you want to have somebody in your corner who truly is in your corner, truly overlooking the deals, truly helping you navigate that situation. Uh, Property managers as well. But you want to build a team that helps you have the credibility you need to move forward. So that's the second C is credibility. Now, if you are confident, but you don't have this credibility, you're just being cocky, right? Like if you're walking out and you think you can go and buy a hundred unit building, but you have no track record and you don't have a team in place that has that ability, you're just being cocky. And that's not what you want to be. And that is certainly not one of our three C's. All right. So the last C is connections. All right. You're going to need connections. You're going to need to build and expand upon your current friends and family base to other folks, because what a lot of people don't know, and very few people talk about this, your friends and your family are not your ideal investor. They're not. They're great people. They're lovely. I'm sure you love them. Okay. But Your auntie is not salivating over your next deal, Mm -hmm. all right? Your best friend from college is not sitting there saying, I can't wait for you to ask me to invest in your next deal. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So they're your friends, they're your family, you have other connections, but there are people who can truly benefit from what you have to offer. Your job is to expand to connect with those people. If you can combine the confidence, the credibility and the connections you can be very successful at raising capital for deals. So, you know, if you don't have a portion of that, or if you're struggling with one of those components, that's where it makes sense to align yourself with a coach or a mentor, uh, or a mastermind group, but try to find ways to uh, attract the people you need to overcome those issues and those limiting beliefs. And that's going to make it much easier for you to grow.
1: Absolutely. I love it. It's so important, especially the one about the the confidence, right? Because if you don't believe in your own deal, people are going to see through and they are not going to trust you, trust their hard earned money to you to invest if you don't even believe on the deal. So excellent. Uh, John, thank you so much for being here. And tell us a little bit more, more, where can people find you online uh, and about your podcast?
0: Yeah. So um, if anyone wants to check out the podcast, it's called Target Market Insights. It's anywhere you listen to the podcast. Um, And then what we've done is we've actually put together a sample deal package. I know a lot of investors who are looking to scale up into multifamily, maybe looking to invest passively. Um, You know, one of the challenges is you kind of need to see what a deal looks like. So you can figure out the questions and start to really wrap your head around the process and all of those things. So we've put together a sample deal package on our website. If you go to casmancapital.com sample deal, you can download it. That will also get you on our, our email list where we send more tips about multifamily investing. And then if you are an active investor, we can send you marketing tips too, to help you build a personal brand and attract capital for real estate.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. And if you are enjoying this episode, make sure to uh, subscribe to the channel and to share with your friends. Thank you, John.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: This was Real
0: Estate Deal Closers with Annette Talee, brought to you by Talley Investments. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Our goal is to provide amazing value on your real estate journey. Connect online at www.talleyinvestments.com, where you can find this episode and more. Did you like this episode? Subscribe, like, and share.